As part of our agricultural agro-processing series, in this edition we take a sneak peek into the South African wool industry. National Wool Growers Association's Leon De Beer shares some guidelines to process wool in Mzanzi. Now farmers continuously adapt to ensure optimal production. This week, our meadow feed segment is geared towards that exactly, focusing on how farmers can get the most out of their pigs' genetics with Meadow Feed's technical advisor, Enrique Marie. Making a grand comeback is our much-loved hashtag Soil Sisters campaign. Weekly, we'll meet some of the most dynamic women in the agricultural industry selected for the Corteva Women Agripreneur 2022 program. We kick off with Boibelo Molefe, former logistics manager and founder of Belecheng Farm in Limpopo. And our Farmer Tip of the Week comes from Yasser Jayakodi, Operations Director at Elysian Fields, a vegetable farm based in Talton outside Krugersdorp. This is Farmer's Inside Track, supported by Food from Zanzi. Inspiration for your business and life. From South Africa's farmers and agripreneurs. Hey, I'm Zanzi, and welcome to episode 136 of Farmers Inside Track, powered by Meadow Feeds. I'm your host, Dawn Numdu. We kick off with a promise guide with the National Wool Growers Association's General Manager, Leon De Beer. Nicole Ludolf, over to you. Thank you so much, Dawn. Leon, can you please tell us a little bit about the infrastructure needs of a wool farmer? For wool, you basically need proper shearing infrastructure where the wool sheep can be shorn and where the wool can be classed according to the different classes you have for wool from the fleece of one sheep. And then you need a wool press so that you can put the wool into a wool bale and the wool bale weighs between 100 and 200 kilograms. And it takes at least 50 sheep to fill up a bale. So, you know, you need quite a number of sheep to fill a number of bales so that you can access the formal market. So on the primary side, yes, I would say proper infrastructure so that you can shear and class your wool. Obviously, the shearers that shear the sheep also need to be trained and qualified and skilled to shear the sheep properly without injuring the sheep. And then you need wool classes who also need to be trained so that they know exactly how to class the wool, put the different qualities together. So when the fleece is is shorn from a sheep, It is one big piece of wool that is thrown onto a table. And the class of the wool will then go and take all the wool that is contaminated by urine and dung, remove it from the fleece. They will take out the middle part on the back of the sheep that is sort of eroded by sun and so on. They will remove that portion and the rest of the fleece then obviously separately. So you have different parts of the fleece that is classed separately from each other. So all the different parts that is similar from different sheep, based on the length and also the fiber diameter and the strength, they are, you try to class them together at farm level at, uh, eventually so that they are all the same wools are in the same bale. If you don't class the wool properly, the wool with the most inferior quality in the bale will determine the price. So that's why you, you remove the inferior wools and try to class the quality wools with quality and with lower quality separately from those. So you have quite a long range of different wool quality, which is based on length, strength and fiber diameter and, you know, contamination, even paint. You know, when they mark a sheep 
with paint somewhere that dot of you remove that paint from the fleece, etc., etc. So they're quite a different classes. Lamb's wool is different than, than adult sheep's wool, you know, and so on. That's about what you need at primary level. Obviously, the wool will then go normally to Port Elizabeth, to one of the wool brokers. There are quite a number of wool brokers. And the wool broker will then prepare the clip for the auction. Firstly, by taking a sample from the wool and send it to the wool testing bureau. And the wool testing bureau will test the wool for its different qualities. That is now related to length, strength, fiber diameter, and how much vegetable matter, etc., is in the wool that comes from grass and weeds and so on. And also the tensile strength. In other words, how strong is the fiber to resist, to break when it's put under pressure. So when those results come from the wool testing bureau, the wool buyer will then at the auction bid on the wool based on the qualities of the wool. And you will need to buy wool according to specifications for what the end product is intended. Some qualities of wool is good enough to put in socks and so on, but others better qualities might be good enough to put in a suit, a men's suit or a lady's suit, or even finer wool that you can wear next to skin so that it doesn't scratch you more related to sports wear and maybe warmer wear that you can wear against your skin. So the specifications is, are important to determine the price eventually, and that is why it's important that you class your wool properly at farm level so that you have the same qualities of wool in the same bale when it is tested. Can you tell us a little bit about the wool value chain? At the moment, more than 98% of your wool is exported. Basically, the whole club is exported. They're generally processed in China, but also India, Europe, and Egypt. With a foot and mouth disease outbreak, South Africa, especially the recent ones, the wool export market to China has banned the export from South Africa to China for all livestock products from cloven-hoofed animals, which now also includes wool. But wool that is processed might still be exported. They regard that as safe. South Africa, our facilities to export wool has also been upgraded in 2019 with the outbreak then where we agreed with China that you may export wool according to the International Animal Health Organization rules or guidelines that wool stored under a certain temperature for a certain time will destroy foot and mouth disease virus so that you can export wool safely. So all our facilities in South Africa have been upgraded to measure the temperatures and even increase the temperatures under certain conditions to reduce storage time. So for instance, the rule says wool stored under a temperature of 18 degrees may be exported within four weeks, 28 days. Our storage facilities have been upgraded to measure the temperature. There is a state vet that certifies the wool to be fine for export. But now that China has closed their borders because they actually are more cautious because of the outbreaks all over the country, we now need to convince them again that we may export our wool. Our protocols are still in place. And that is a process that needs to take place on a diplomatic level, but also government involvement. You know, so government-to-government -government discussions with China. So we are looking at the processing of wool locally so that we can mitigate the risk in terms of our wool exports. It will not be huge volumes. It will be more for a niche market. 
But at the moment, the wool processing in South Africa is at a very low level and it will be quite costly to put up a processing plant and the jobs are created actually more after processing. In the clothing and textile industry, you will create a lot of jobs. But we are looking at that so that at least a portion of our clip that cannot be exported to China could be processed. We export at 80%. We were last season, we export to China. So it has a significant impact on our wool and the production and the export. Hopefully the market will open up again. As a matter of fact, the Chinese market takes up most of our wool produced in the communal areas, so they will be severely affected. We still need to reopen the Chinese market, but at least we will mitigate a part of the risk by also putting up processing plants again. We had processing plants in Utenaik, the one specifically closed down three or so years ago because it was not competitive in the international markets. Hopefully we can revive that again, but just on a smaller scale. Can you tell us a little bit about the wool market? We started off many years ago with a code of best practice, and the code of best practice now has been translated into a sustainable standard. And there are many sustainable standards of production in the world. For South Africa, we have developed the Sustainable Cape Wool Standard. There's also a Responsible Wool Standard and other standards that I'm not going into detail now. And these standards are all about production that is sustainable, that is environmentally friendly, that looks after animal welfare and also social responsibility, for instance, your level of the training of your labor, the skills, etc., etc. So we have a sustainable Cape Wool standard and others where we have auditors that goes to a farm that will assess the farm or audit the farm in terms of all the standards that is listed even take photographs and have proof, for instance, of proper sharing infrastructure, proper housing for the shearers and the farm workers, proper natural resource management, etc., etc., proper handling of all the remedies and medication and so on for your sheep that they are properly stored. And then when a farm is certified, it is also registered at the auction next to the farmer's wool that is being auctioned so that the buyer of wool can buy wool that is certified to comply to the standard. We do audits of farms. Currently in South Africa, about a quarter of our clip is certified. We are the country with the biggest volume of wool that is certified in the world. And we are also busy rolling this program out for the emerging sector so that they can also have a system according to which their wool are certified. Thanks, Nicole. And great having you with us, National Wool Growers Association's General Manager, Leon de Beer. Now, farmers continuously adapt to ensure optimal production and profitability in their farming business. This week, our meadow feed segment is geared specifically towards that, focusing on how farmers can get the most out of their pigs' genetics with technical advisor, Enrica Marie. Welcome, Enrica. It's really great to have you with us. Thanks, Dawn. I appreciate it. And I'm the Swine Technical Advisor at Meadow Feed, specifically at Randfontein. I've been with Meadow now for two years, still learning and definitely still enjoying the industry. So I'm excited to tell you a little bit more about Swine today. And I'm really happy to have you with us. And of course, we want to talk about all things in terms of getting the most out of your pigs' genetics. And maybe I can start with some of the greatest advances that has been made in the past decades when it comes to swine production. Yes, well, you already gave the answer there. It's actually mostly in the genetics, to my opinion. A lot of changes have been made on the technology side, management, but 
I certainly want to highlight the genetics. Over the past years, the average size of pig farms have drastically increased, with majority of the pig farmers now making use of artificial insemination instead of natural mating. And when this is properly managed, artificial insemination, it can give you drastic results and improvements in your genetics on farm. The semen for the artificial insemination is generally purchased from some of the available genetic companies in South Africa. And these are companies that are mostly internationally based companies as well that spend millions of rands and dollars in making sure that their clients get the best on farm. So indicators like total pigs born alive, total pigs born per sow, the amount of kilograms slaughtered per year, all of these desirable traits are improved on a yearly basis and they make sure that it's continuously done. So I would definitely answer that that is one of the greatest improvements that have been made. Even if you just look at the results, some of these companies get half a piglet born extra per year per sow. So I just think the research put into that is incredible. And of course, the agricultural sector continues to surprise us with its innovation and its research and all of its advances on a continuous basis. But what does this mean for South African swine producers, both commercially and on a smaller scale? In general, farmers need to keep up and adapt with the changes. Things change so drastically in the industry. Even this year, we can look at the feed prices, COVID over the past year. So for farmers to keep up to these changes, they need to stay in tune with the research, speak to their consultants, and specifically looking at the genetics. Farmers spend such a large amount of money on getting the best genetics on their farm, but for those pigs to achieve their genetic potential that they require, the correct environment and managerial input is required. So as long as farmers can keep up to the management and the feed practices and the environment on farm, I'm sure that they'll be able to harvest the potential of their pigs. Now, what are the factors that can be controlled by big pig producers? And can you elaborate on each of these factors? The most important factors is the housing, handling, the health of the farm, record keeping, and the feed. There are others, but these are the main ones. I'll elaborate slightly on each of them. So on the housing, it's important for the environment to be comfortable for the pigs, safe and stress-free. Pigs generally do well when protected from the sun when they are kept dry and clean. And this also ensures that bacterial growth is reduced just by cleaning out the pens regularly, either through wet or dry cleaning. And to ensure further that the pigs grow according to their genetic capability, any form of cold stress or heat stress or drastic changes should be avoided. And again, I'm going to stress that cleaning and disinfection of the houses is incredibly important, specifically when you move the pigs between the different houses. And furthermore, the housing should preferably be well ventilated. Concentrations of like ammonia, carbon dioxide and airborne microorganisms can cause coughing and prolapse diarrhea and a variety of respiratory infections. So to keep the environment as disease-free and environmentally friendly as possible for the pigs. Taking into account the ventilation, pigs also don't like a draft directly over them. So when you plan your piggery, whether you're a big or small farmer, just take care that the pig's comfort is still taken into account when you're planning your airflow. But then there should also be enough space for the pigs to eat and to drink. So a lot of the big farms make use of automatic feeders and from nipple drinkers. So there the farmers can generally plan about 20 pigs to drink per nipple drinker. And for the automatic feeders, they can confirm this with a company installing it for them. But mostly the average is 10 to 15 pigs per feeder. And this will just allow the pigs comfortable feeding space Although the genetic companies will also be able to consult the farm on which feeders and so on to get, the different genetic lines from the different companies actually have different feed preferences. Some of the pigs are happy in crowded spaces, some of the pigs are not. Then in terms of handling, ideally the farm should not handle the pig very often. So handling is sometimes necessary, specifically around the weaning period and when moving the pigs around 
or to do vaccinations and such. But this should also be done as stress-free as possible and avoid frequently disturbing them in future as well. So do what you need to do and kind of get it over with and let the pigs go back to being pigs. The health factor is also a very important one. And regardless of a farm size, and I'm stressing this because a lot of times the smaller farmers think that it's not necessary for them to pay that veterinary cost or they are not necessarily able to. But regardless if a farm is big or small, keeping the farm disease-free is a crucial task on swine farms. Some of the greatest losses we've seen is either due to subclinical or clinical diseases entering a farm. And subclinical illness specifically can result in the losses through low production performance. And that's something that can regularly go undetected, especially if record keeping is not done. Or for clinical illnesses, the farmer can unfortunately suffer direct losses through mortalities. So it's really important for the farmers to consult their vets on biosecurity protocols, vaccination program, and in-feed medication. And then on the record keeping note, farmers generally say to measures to know. So by collecting the data on farm, analyzing it, it's easy for farmers to just identify on-farm issues before it becomes an economic loss. For example, if you see a drop in growth rate during a specific period, maybe in the wiener houses, that might indicate a change in the health status of the swine. Or if you see maybe a drop in your weaning weights, it can indicate an issue in the farrowing house. So record keeping in this instance may be used to assess what's going on on farm. And it can also, in a positive note, help farmers to evaluate the current practices on farm, help them identify strategic changes that should be made or that can benefit farm whenever they need to make a decision. And then another important one is definitely, and I think this is almost one of the most important ones because it makes up such a big portion of the farm's running cost, is the feed. Most of the farmers will know that feed is anything between 60 and 70% of the running cost of a farm, which is quite significant. So this makes feed one of the greatest influence on the farm profitability. So to get your feeding schedule from your malnutritionist is extremely important in order to get a feeding program that's designed according to your farm's requirements. Especially because the genetics differ so much, it's important for them to speak to the nutritionist and to the genetic company just to make sure that you are giving that pig exactly what it needs to attain its genetic potential. And specifically in this times when feed prices increase, it's easy to try and save on feed costs just through utilizing cheaper feed. But the consequences of lower animal performance, increased feed intakes, and lighter slaughter waste can, at the end of the day, result in a reduced profit of the farm. So in difficult times like this, it's actually more important to stay close to your consultants and your nutritionist just to make sure that you're still on the right track and that when the difficult times are over, you'll be able to benefit most from it. Now, Enrica, in your opinion, which of these are the largest contributing factors to a swine farm's success? None of these factors specifically, I'd rather like to highlight management, as this is a factor that really ties all of the mentioned factors together. And ensuring that your pigs are managed correctly according to their genetic requirements and feed recommendations can make a big difference on farm profitability and sustainability. You can have the best genetics, the best feed, the best medication, but none of that will be relevant or profitable if they're applied incorrectly or managed poorly. So again, farmers are urged to keep up to date with research, build a good team of consultants around them, and really make an effort to determine which practices are best suited to their farm. When managing a pig farm, big or small, attention to detail can really go a long way to provide the pigs with what they require and to make sure that the farm is as profitable as possible. And then Erika, do you have any concluding remarks that you'd like to add as we wrap up the session? Yes, well, I think just bringing it back to the genetics the genetic potential of pigs require much more than just choosing the right genetics. So focus on all of these factors, management, housing, environment, feed, health, and 
make sure that your record keeping is good, your management is good. But lastly, in times like this, keep carrying on. Don't lose track of the detail. Don't lose track of what's going on on farm. Get in your pens. And as long as you as a farmer know what's going on on your farm, then I really predict success for that farm. Thanks so much for joining us once again. Technical advisor at Meadow Feeds, Enrique Marie. I'm really excited about this, guys. Making a grand comeback this week is our much-loved hashtag Soul Sisters campaign. Over the next few weeks, we'll meet some of the most dynamic women in the agricultural sector selected for the Corteva Women Agripreneur 2022 program. Now, this is a year-long blended development program at the Gordon Institute of Business Science Entrepreneurship Development Academy. We kick off with Boipelo Malefe, former logistics manager and founder of Impelejeng Farms in Limpopo. Boipelo, tell us about your farming journey. Where did it all start for you? My farming journey started with me being abroad and me being interested in the field. I've always actually just wanted to have a farmhouse. That's just been a dream of mine. But when COVID hit and I was abroad and I just hated my job, I thought, why not go into farming? I researched, did my part until I came back home to South Africa. And then I looked for a farm and I looked for people who can help me. And then I ended up with an individual who helped me look for land and looked for people to lease the land from. And then I did. I started off with green peppers and then I moved to tomatoes. And I started off in September, really, like my first plantings uh, season was September. Now I currently have cabbages. Now I know that from my interactions with farmers on this podcast, that it's never easy to get started. What are some of the challenges and some factors that motivates you? It's been challenging. It's been fun. It's been fulfilling. I think watching your seedling grow into just a little seedling and into a fruit, like from a little seedling into a fruit, is fulfilling. It's truly amazing to see what nature gives back to you when you give it your best and the best quality and the best inputs. I've had a lot of support from family, from friends. I have a great mentor who helps me. And there's a sense of community around where if you need help, you have questions that need answers, you can always ask. Tell us about how your farm is giving back to your community. You're doing really amazing work. I feel the farm gives back in the sense of not just employment, but actually teaching people skills. So if I'm taught a new skill or I'm taught something new, I make sure that I also teach my employees that it just picks up their confidence. You're able to learn something new. You're always also able to think on your own because now you know something. And if one day they also have a dream of having their own farm, they know the skill, they know what to do and how to do it. So I feel that's how the farm gives back. The farm has employed a number of people and I really try to make sure that we pay them what's due to them and not just the bare minimum based on what everybody else is giving them. They work very hard. Farm workers, they have kids to feed around, they have families to feed. So I make sure it's how we give back and it employs a lot of young people i believe in teaching young people the most basics even writing stuff down talking reporting things and just how to deal with the day-to-day i think it gives people great confidence once they know what to do and then before we let you go do you have any advice to young women who aspire to farm my advice to young women who want to farm is go for it believe in yourself There'll be many times where you don't know what you're doing. 
and that's okay you will end up knowing what you're doing and if you don't know ask get the help that you can ask the questions even though you think they're stupid just ask questions but do it i think there's many opportunities for women there's many opportunities for black women to be great in this field once you start in farming you'll see there's so many other opportunities around that will expose you to so many other things so i feel like starting out and learning the basics exposes you to a lot more that you could find yourself in or add to the value chain so i advise everyone not just women men also to get into it and be excited and passionate about it and give it your all just wake up every day be positive even when things are going wrong and believe in yourself believe in yourself and you will be okay things eventually fall into place Thanks so much once again for joining us, Boybelo Malefe, former logistics manager and founder of Mpelegeng Farms in Limpopo. She's, of course, our hashtag soil sister for this week, and you can read her really beautiful story on foodformzanzi.co.za. Agriculture is not just about farming. It's about caring, and that's an ideal worth preserving. It's super fresh, it's super soft, and it makes a meal a treat. It's Super Sure Bread and Super Sure Flour, a proud member of the VKB Group. From breakfast to lunch and even birthday cakes, Super Sure makes the whole family smile. Find Super Sure on Facebook or visit vkb.co.za for more info. VKB, for the love of the land. Now farmers, have you ever considered farming with brinjals? Well, this week's farmer tip from Yasis Jayakodi, Operations Director at Elysian Fields, a vegetable farm based in Talton outside Krugersdorp, has some insights for us. After a year, we switched to buying seedlings from seedling suppliers. And the benefit of that is that you get kind of what you for plus another 5% in case of damages and stuff like that. So it takes away a lot of headache in terms of planning. You know, when you book the dates, it's coming on the 14th and the 28th, they're going to deliver the 75,000 seedlings. Whereas if you're doing your old seedlings, especially as a first time, you're never sure of the production rates and the success rates, etc. It's not to say that you shouldn't do seedlings. I think that could also become a niche for some farmers where they just focus completely on seedlings and become seedling supplier, or they do it for themselves as farmers. But there's a steep learning curve in doing seedlings. But like anything, you can, if you put your time, effort and vision in, into doing it successfully, I'm, I'm pretty sure you can. These days, we always buy seedlings from a supplier and we're quite happy with what we receive. And our farmer tip of the week from Yasas Jayakodi, Operations Director at Elysian Fields, a vegetable farm based in Tarleton outside Krugersdorp, brings us to the end of another exciting episode of Farmers Inside Track. Remember, if you loved this podcast, please rate it and share it with your friends, family members, and fellow farmers. From me, Don Numdu, Nicole Ludolf, our producer, Megan van der Vent, and the rest of the Food for Mzanzi team, have an awesome week. Bye for now. Life in South Africa can be a lot. I mean, scroll through Twitter for a minute and tell me I'm wrong. Thank God for South Africans, though, right? We're inspiring, and even on the bad days, we fight back with a smile. That's why I love Food for Mzanzi so much. They're not ashamed to celebrate the ordinary unsung heroes who work every day to put food on our nation's tables. Go to foodformzanzi.co.za and never miss an inspiring story.